everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Um, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games. I also design tabletop role-playing games, and we are here to talk about uh, gaming stuff, GMing, and design kind of both. Uh, and we're here with a guest, again, as normal. Um, hi, Jeff. Hi, I'm Jeff Batone, and thanks for having me back on the show. It's really Woo-hoo. great to be back here again. Uh, I am the sole employee of JeffQuest. I make tabletop role-playing games and also card games and board games when I get bored. Bored. Ah, uh, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> if you're the sole employee, who's yeah. your boss? Or is it just employees all the way down? It's just, it's, <laughs> we're, we're sort of an autonomous commune. Mm. There's no hierarchy. <laughs> In Nerdburger Games, it's Craig's all the way down. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. I wear many hats. <laughs> I am many types of turtle. <laughs> well, there's some elephants down there somewhere. I'm pretty sure if I yeah. remember. Balancing on beach balls. Yeah, that might be Dr. Seuss, though. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about turtles or uh, philosophy of the world. Uh, we are here to talk about role-playing games and designing them and running them. And what's our first topic today, Craig? What's our GMing topic of the day? Oh, today we're going to talk about um, giving players narrative control and to uh, to kind of define that. And we can we might expand on this, but just like the, the baseline of where I think we're starting from here is giving players control over elements of the narrative that traditionally um, in games in the past, they may not have had control over um, where typically a player has their character and then they can kind of develop character history and things that are associated. So everything's kind of tied to the character. But, you know, like what happens when the player starts to help kind of define um, other NPCs and parts of the world and uh, events that are taking place um, and have, uh, you know, some uh, some amount of input into that. Um, something that was, you know, with with some traditional games is more in the hands of the GM. So um, talking a little bit about that. And there's there's basically two uh, kind of versions of that. There's games where that's built in. That's like something that the game does and GMing, that sort of a thing. And then there's also games where it's not built in and you can house rule it in and kind of mod the game to, to do that. So let's rock and roll. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this uh, a lot in the past couple of days. Um just thinking when I was listening to the Adventure Zone, there has been a little bit of an arc where there's been a lot of narrative control from the players. And one of the things that I I really enjoy as a method of giving your players some narrative control is by directly asking them, um, like putting someone in kind of the hot seat, like putting the spotlight on them and then asking them about a memory that they had. And I don't know, there's something in me too that kind of like when someone asks me to describe a memory that my character has had in a game, I feel like I have, you know, more agency in that moment because I'm not necessarily determining something that is happening for everybody right now in the present, but that doesn't mean that my my memory, my flashback that I'm that I'm inventing maybe even on the spot doesn't have some sort of significance. Um, I've had that happen a lot. Like I've had GMs do that a lot with me and I've always really liked it and I've, I've done it with players too. Um, have you ever done that as a method of, of handing over the reins for a moment? Like let's take it to the past, build that with your character. Um, yeah, I've done that. I think 
uh, like asking them, you know, what's a memory that your character has that in, in potentially not that doesn't have specifically do to do with the character, but it's something that the character experienced someplace. So they you, they might be in the process like of that describing that memory. They're going to build a little bit of the world or kind of define something about um, that's that's external to the actual character or another um, NPC or another or NPC like or like just like events that have taken place or, um, you know, an organization or, um, you know, some government or even in a town or whatever. Um, that's like, that, essentially that strikes me as like one version of what people refer to often as leading questions where you give, you know, don't ask the don't ask the player to, okay, what why don't you fill in the gaps on this world a little bit? That's a little too broad. Like give it a more pointed thing to ask for and say, like, well, what's a memory that's important to your character? Or um, you know, with uh uh with games that I've done, um, where I if I haven't like some of them I've been de I've designed, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but like even where I have, you know, it's just playing somebody else, some some other game. Um, if I haven't defined everything in a particular area, I might you know, pass that sort of thing off to the players because it gives them, you know, like uh, ask them, you know, like, well, what's the news from, you know, from uh, from uh, the next town over or from down the coast or whatever. And then that might be the player telling you kind of like, here's a story hook. And like surreptitiously, you're asking the player, what kind of an adventure would you like your character to go on? Because right. they're likely going to talk about something that they find interesting. Yeah, I've done that a little bit too. I've I haven't really ever designed a game where it's like I've I've played them, but I've never designed them because I always do the GM player thing. But I I really like playing games where the players get to have an input in the story, and I do a lot of the same thing where it's like the players like, oh, I I have a it says I have a contact, and I'm like, well, so who is this contact, and what are they like, and how how do you get along with them, and then all of a sudden there's this whole scene, and I like it too because like. I can only do so much with what's in my brain and I tend to default on the same mm -hmm. stories and the same plot ideas. But if I say, okay, this guy comes in and walks up to you and it's somebody you knew from high school, what's that like? And then, and then you get this whole injection of this new, this new creative potential that you can play with that makes the world a lot more interesting or even just that scene. Yeah, it's a good way for you to be a surprise a little bit as a GM too. I, I like what you said, like your brain can only do so much, but you're sitting yeah. at a table or a virtual table with four, five, six, seven other people. The power of all of your brains combined makes a, a, a <laughs> wonderful, a wonderful thing. It can make a wonderful world. Uh, I, I like that example. Like, okay, someone from high school walks up to you. Who is it? What's this like? And now suddenly you have some stuff, like you said, you, you can play with it. And you always want to like bounce off of that. You don't want to say like, uh, I don't like that. Right. But like, what, what do you do though? Cause you want to make sure that like the game is running smoothly. So maybe this isn't always like a, a big problem, but like, what do you do when you, a player throws something at you that clashes? I, that, so that, so here's an example actually of how that works. So I was running this long running Call of Cthulhu game. And it you know, was a module and it had a plot and the plot was on the rails and we were going. And one of my players was playing this mafia character who's like, I don't care about magic stuff. This is dumb. Uh, I, I wouldn't get into it because it's scary. 
And also, here's all of these things from my Italian background that you can play with. Like, here's my wife. Here's the Don. Here's all of this. And so I was basically like, okay, this is a completely separate storyline. This this doesn't it or intersect. But what if at some point they're like, hey, so these cultists want to want to hire your mafia guys to be their enforcers? And they're like, heck no. No, you don't mess with the mafia. I'm going to take them down. And then it's like, and now they're back in the story. And it was, it was a lot of heavy lifting on my part, but it was satisfying for the player because they didn't feel like I had completely railroaded them while giving them the chance to play in that, that sandbox of their own imagination, I guess. I, I like how that like, kind of just like, you like hooking them back in. I like that. Yeah. That's uh, a great, yeah, that's a great use for, for these types of things. I mean, like just expanding on what you were saying as far as like the, the, the table is a Voltron of ideas, right? There's, <laughs> there's we will, we will join in and uh, we will produce more ideas as a group than, than I could do myself. Um, and you know, if the characters go in a direction you weren't expecting. And so now you're suddenly in a position where you have to invent, um, the location, you have to describe the location, you have to invent an NPC that they're going to interact with. And I think, you know, as long as I've been GMing, I'm sure there are other, you know, plenty of GMs out there that run into the, the the problem that they sometimes fall back on stock characters of their own that they tend yeah. to like their NPCs start to kind of sound alike, act alike. Um, like you've got the, you know, the, the 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 disgruntled bartender that's just like the other disgruntled bartender that's just like another disgruntled bartender. But if you throw out um you know, the prompt to the players to help build, to help create that. You can ask them things like, you know, what's, what's an interesting mannerism that this character, that this NPC that you just met has, do, do they have a physical characteristic that stands out? Um, and then you can build a role play off of those types of things where you aren't necessarily just using the same sad tropes that you tend right. to fall back on sometimes a little too easily. Um, and when it's something that they suggest, one of two things happens. It's either something that they personally find interesting as like, well, here's a character quirk that I find interesting. So I'm going to impose this upon you, Mr. GM, mm -hmm. and have you, you know, in incorporate this character quirk into your, the NPC that we, you've just invented, or it becomes memorable and interesting to them because they decided it and they helped to build that. So like, you might be surprised that you create like this nearly blank slate NPC, you ask a couple of questions at the table and suddenly you've got this little interesting personality that everybody kind of contributed to. And that NPC might become like a really a favorite NPC. Like all of a sudden you've got a recurring character and yeah, someone that the character, that the, that the, that the PCs are going to go back to um, an NPC that you can put in danger to up the stakes, you know, it just, it just roller coasters and, and builds from there. Snowballs. That's the one I was looking for. That's the metaphor I was looking for. <laughs> or even a even an NPC that you can actually give control to another player. Um, I've I've played in games where the GM has handed me a character sheet for an NPC and says like, okay, here here's a little bit of background. Take it away, and that is its own way of giving a player narrative control outside of their own their own character. And it can it can also lead to a lot of really cool story things that happens in LARP a lot because when you're LARPing, you have your you have like the game runners and stuff, but that's not enough people to play every single NPC and monster for a whole weekend of camping. For not sure. gonna happen. A lot of a lot of LARPs will either give you like free experience or even like discounted games or require you to go play an NPC or a monster. And sometimes you get to play like a named NPC with a background and you're going in there for some story purposes. 
and you're kind of just given the reins and power and it's it's nerve-wracking but exciting at once because maybe there will be a game runner like in the background like making sure everything's okay but then at the end you get to come back and you report hey here's what i did here's how players reacted to me and here's maybe a plot hook for you later and you can see that continue um and that could even be like a recurring role for a certain player at the table like yeah, whenever you go and you visit the the dwarven kingdom, you are playing the dwarf king, and that is your that's your NPC there. Like, yeah, the dwarf king's gonna stay in his dwarf hall, but anytime that there's that plot line, you have part of that. You have some of that power there just because you have another you know skin to crawl into at right. that moment. Yeah, I speaking of of LARPing, one of the things that when I when I LARPed a lot, what we used to do is we'd have the plot book, and it would be like. Here's these characters. They go do boom, 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 boom. We'd always have it at the end for it's like, like what happened? What did the players do that surprised you? And there are some some players. It's like they write two paragraphs of background. You don't really know who they are. And then you go in a game and you're like, I am this. I am a dealer in rare antiquities. And they're like, Oh, do you have any evil artifacts or whatever? And it's like, <laughs> I did not see this one coming. And then all of a sudden, it's like, either yes, I am secretly. Or no, but I know a guy. And then all of a sudden this whole subplot develops and it's like, and, and those are always, I mean, obviously you want to continue the story of the game, I think, because that's, that's your creative vision as a GM, but it's like, oh, if this side plot makes you excited and enriches the experience, here's your evil artifacts. Have fun. Yeah. The subplots enrich everything. Everyone loves a good B plot. Everyone loves it. And and especially if you manage to draw from a character's backstory, or if they they introduce something that they're like they want to be part of their backstory, and you run with it, they're like, "This game was amazing! It just felt I was so immersed!" And that's always gratifying to hear. Yeah, it is, and it's fun for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's a way that you can be a little surprised. Like it's, it's a way you can be a little surprised as a GM. Yeah. So, what about? when it's not the GM prompting the players specifically for these types of things, but we institute a house rule where there's uh, like a point system or once per session or some other, um, you know, kind of rule for the players can just introduce something when they want to. And, you know, it, I think the, the first thing that occurs to me at that point is if you're going to do something like that you can certainly draw upon other games that have those types of sure um uh, rule systems in them and you can kind of uh you know borrow something cobble it tweak it a little bit but if you're going for something um you know if if you're bringing it into a game that doesn't normally have that system there's a there's i think an important point is setting some sort of limitation on how far that goes and making sure that that's understood by everybody and that you reinforce what that limitation is um you know like a player can't define too much <laughs> without mm-hmm. potentially upsetting the the story um, um or if they do you know try to uh, institute something they say i'm going to spend my you know narrative control point whatever you call it um and i'm going to say xyz happens is you know or is, you know becomes part of this storyline here and if that all of a sudden allows them to like potentially circum uh, circ- you know completely circumvent an important element of the story without really being a challenge like you know you have to kind of be clear with the players that you know that's not going to fly or um you know and, and then maybe you have a system in place where you can say well how you know the, the the player suggests one thing and you say well how about and then 
you kind of tone it down just a touch so that it doesn't turn into like an auto win for us for a challenge um, to introduce something like that. One of the things I have, have used, like, you know, when I was running capers and there's actually a system for that sort of thing, you're spending moxie to do it where, uh, but it's, but it's left fairly free form for the players. It's like the player says, well, you know, I spend a point, I spend a point at moxie and I say like, my character knows the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the owner of this hotel. And suddenly that opens up like everything about the hotel. And now, now, now they can get into any room. And I'm like, that's a little bit. How about, how about you know the new desk clerk? <laughs> how about you know the, the concierge who can do a lot of things, but isn't necessarily going to go against the, witch, the wishes of the hotel owner or of the mobster that lives on the fourth floor? Yeah. Um, or they, they know the hotel owner, but I mean, if you cause them trouble and then they lose, you don't their, have the best relationship yeah, yeah. and they have a lot of money and roof. Yeah. And that can be, that can be a limitation too. You can say, okay, well you, you spend a point or maybe I make you spend two points for something really big like that. And it's going to be like a one-time really cool favor. And then that person's going to be like, nope, I helped you out once, not again. You got to earn it next time. Be. Yeah, now you owe me, yeah. right? Uh, um, but or but if it's with a smaller, you know, less influential NPC, like they know the new desk clerk, like maybe that desk clerk becomes an ongoing source of information for them until the player does something silly, like get them in trouble. Mm-hmm. I, I I love the use of like bennies or tokens or something like that to add a narrative element of control. Uh, I've seen games like Clockwork Dominion has uh, has a method to do this, but it has to be something that could, you know, potentially happen. <clears throat> For example, if you're playing in England, if you're playing in London, the probability that it might rain at any moment, pretty high. Sure, that's 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 narratively reasonable. Right. Or you know, you're doing you're doing the trick where you slice the rope and the chandelier falls on the bad guy. There's no reason why the rope can't be connected right next to you at that moment. Things like that, just like the things that are like going to naturally fit. But also the power of like an automatic or an extra success on something, um, like kind of like inspiration, where you're like maybe it's rolling with advantage or maybe it's um, adding a plus five to something that is also, it's not complete narrative control at that moment, but it does increase the odds. And that's part of the narrative too. Um, So maybe you want to reward players, like maybe they're writing character journals and you want to reward them with, Hey, here's a card. You can spend this to automatically succeed on a single skill check or um, add a plus five or, um, I mean, you can do that at any time. And that, that's a really kind of uh, easy way to kill two birds with one stone. One, giving them some control, which makes the game more fun for them. And number two, giving them incentive to, to do maybe cool things in the role play or be cooperative in role play. Uh, th- those are, you know, things that I've seen done in games that I've, I've particularly personally enjoyed. Um, what about uh, different types of narrative control? Uh, Jess, you mentioned the flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I think, it can potentially be overused in like heist stories, but I think you know, oftentimes, like the cinematic heist story often is a mislead, right? There's a whole bunch of misleads where you think one things are going one way, and then 
they uh, you you learn that through a flashback or a reveal from a character that something else actually happened in the background or previously that made oh all the stuff you thought was going terribly actually went just fine like this was planned we wanted it to go this way so you can build you know flashback stuff in there I think. Uh, Better than just, you know, saying that, you know, if the player, you know, spends their point or whatever and says, well, my character um, knows how to do this thing um, that's just kind of outside of the rules, but it's just kind of, you know, a useful thing to to, to be able to do. Um, it, that That's fine. If that, it, and, and if you want to just say, okay, fine, you do and move along. But you could also say, well, give us a, you know, 30 second flashback scene to how the character learned to do that thing or where they gained that ability or met that contact or whatever. And that gives everything a little bit more depth and it builds the narrative rather than just being about the benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're getting like, it's like just you said, it's you're giving them an incentive to do like uh, just a little one person 30 second narrative role play um where they're you know it's just a a voiceover kind of thing where they describe something happening and then they get some sort of a benefit out of it there's also the i know a guy movie yeah. <laughs> that you can take that we've mentioned before and yeah. encouraging i i love it when players surprise me with like like we didn't talk about this beforehand but they're trying to find for example an evil artifact like oh well, you know i know a guy and like oh <laughs> Oh, do you? And then play with that. Yeah. yeah. There are games that have that, like literally that phrase built into them. Like they've right. I've, I've written one. Nice. There's part of, yeah, like you can just like, yeah. And you can only use it so often or there's points associated with it or you put, you know, you run the risk of, of, you know, angering the guy, yeah. <laughs> the gal or the Exhausting alien the or the whoever. <laughs> there's also, like I mentioned, you can, you can give control of an NPC to somebody um, but the, I think one of like the most narrative control you could give to a single other player without it having be, without it being, uh, a, a no, like a jamless game would be to say, okay, I'm going to play as a player character for one session. You're going to run a game within this world. And then you're giving the control at that moment to create an, a whole other scenario, which can also give you a break as a GM, which GMs we need. Which would then, which then becomes canon for the game world, right? They, they they've now set this storyline in motion, and mm-hmm. you know you you get the chance to play through it until there's a resolution for whatever the story is, and now you've got okay, well, what are the what are the ramifications of that thing, and how does that impact the other the characters going forward, and how do, how does it impact other storylines that I have planned? Yeah, that's and it plays right into the whole idea of now you get to be surprised again. Um, yeah, which is it's it's always as a GM, it's always fun when the players surprise me. Um, and it can be little surprises and it can be just massive. Like, oh, they, they, I, you know, like you said, you give somebody else the opportunity to GM for one adventure and all of a sudden you've got like, oh my gosh, I've got all this great material to start working from. Thank you. And now they're invested in it because they helped to create it. So one of the LARPs that I play uh, is called Mistwood and they have this rather unique thing for LARPs because usually LARPs are for the most part player cast and, and there's some mixing, but not a lot, but at Mistwood, there's different time blocks and each, each time block is run by a different campaign committee so depending on when you go different people are running the game at each time and it's all canon and like those stories are all encapsulated but they're all in the same world and what they've done like within the last uh, six or seven years or so is they've got they now have different sites where Mm -hmm. they're running different games in the same world and so 
It's theoretically possible if you want to LARP every weekend for the entire summer to play in every single game at every single site and know all of the plot. But the nice, the really nice thing about it is that lots of different people, like you said, are GMs and are making like top level creative decisions. And so the world feels really detailed and really rich because it's all of these people like at the top just saying, this is in this world, here's our continuity and 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 you get a, a much bigger sandbox to play in, which I think is great. And I don't think it's even necessarily that big of a problem for a GM to worry about some incongruity within the games. No. Because that happens in real life, too. You have people telling different versions of stories or, you know, things might make sense for one sector that don't make sense for another sector. If If comics can make that work... You're going to be fine if if someone you're giving narrative control over to, you know, bends a, a rule, bends a political rule or even a magical rule while they have some narrative control. It's not going to be the end of the world. In fact, it gives you a fun quirk possibly to play with, too. If it's a really big no one, no one wants to break the game. I mean, if they want to break the game while they're playing with you, that's a different problem. But no one who is playing in good faith wants to break your game, wants to break your world. They all want to have fun doing this thing together. And, you know, if if something goes, quote unquote, wrong, you use that. Maybe maybe they broke this rule of magic and now you have some cool magic catastrophe that you can throw at them later down the line. Uh, Maybe (laughs) I don't know, maybe a politician that you gave control over to a player character or to a player, I mean, um, maybe they act out of character for what that NPC might have done. Well, maybe it wasn't really the politician. Maybe that wasn't the duchess. That was the doppelganger. It could, there, there's all sorts of fun things that you could play with. Um, even if there is a, a, something that quote unquote breaks, I'm using scare quotes with my fingers, but this is audio only (laughs) great podcasting, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what about, because we've talked a lot about what you can do as a GM. I think the best thing you can do as a GM when it comes to narrative control is finding a system that has a robust system to do, to give that narrative control to you. So how can we as game designers do that for the people who might be running our games? Ooh, that's, that's <laughs> tricky. That's like, I, I've, I've seen it done, but I feel... I feel like it's hard to put that into mechanics sometimes Mm -hmm. because then you have to say, well, here's the rules and here's how it's bounded. And I feel like that limits stuff. And even though you want to limit stuff, it's just like, now I'm doing the hand motion, even though it's a podcast. (laughs) Uh, uh, But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very tricky because it's a very, it's sort of a gray area. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you want to say, do it just enough, but not too much. And that's not really easy to put into like rules. Yeah, it, it is kind of difficult. Uh, but the, the great thing about games and any other kind of creative medium is when you're given limitations, the, the cool products that can come out when you're working within the lines can be awesome. Like if you have ever seen poetry that's only created using certain words, or even uh, like you have a like the 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 deleted poetry, where like where you're erasing words to create beautiful poems. That can be really really cool, even though it is something that is created for limitation. So I don't like yeah, you do want to provide the guardrails, otherwise you have this huge open sandbox and and no one knows what to do right. with. But 
if you are designing a game and you want to make sure that there's a lot of wiggle room for players to and for GMs to have, you know, more control over the world, you don't want to be, like you said, Jeff, too limiting. If you describe to the to the tiniest thread what the political sphere and what all of the NPCs and all of the cities and all of the everything this whole world is defined as, you're making something that's too rigid and there's no wiggle room for anyone to move around in. Right. You should just write a book then. Yeah. <laughs> like with 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 Moonpunk, Moonpunk is a game where all the players have a lot of narrative narrative control. Uh, because number one, we didn't really define the setting too much. It's the moon, it's dystopian, it's set in the, the quasi-future, retro-futuristic kind of setting, um, and people are being oppressed on the moon. But, like, who, who exists there? What are the systems like? That's something that the players then... There's, there are, there's a system in place, mechanics in place, for the players and for the authority to design together right before you get into a session. Like if, even if you're doing a one-shot, if you're doing a campaign, um, there are connections, like a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games have connections within, with, between characters. You have uh, questions that you ask and get responses to, to make connections between every other player. And within the move sets too, there's a lot of moves that are like, for example, I know a guy, um, uh, there, there are characters who can see if they know somebody and if they, well, yes, they do know somebody, but what's their relationship like? The role will determine if it was positive or negative, or maybe they just want something from you. Um, there are moves in place where you can define an aspect of a location. Um, so there, there are stuff built in to tell the players, to signal to them that this is your world too. And a lot of it is supposed to be that improvisational creating together versus the authority sitting there and telling you this is what you're doing. Right. You're essentially creating it as it's needed exactly. because it's built into the individual moves. And I think PBTA games um, lean that direction. That's, you know, they, they oftentimes don't have a great deal of setting or at the very least, even if they do have a, a, a fair bit of setting developed, there's still moves that are kind of built into like you, you are going to define more information just as a result of how you, you know, what, what your dice results are on these different moves. Yeah. It's much more story based rather than setting based. Right. And that basically comes down to like in, in those types of games, <clears throat> giving players narrative control is very important to the game. So I think one of the things you can do as a designer is as you're figuring your game out and it maybe isn't a question you can answer immediately. You might need to get a little ways down the road with designing some of the basic concepts of the game and a little, even some of the mechanics is figuring out how important is player narrative control to the game. Mm -hmm. If it's a nice little fun thing that they can do occasionally, then it might be as simple as having a point system that can be, that can be controlled by the GM. So there's like a little bit, everybody's got a little bit of opportunity, but it's not going to run, you know, it's not going to, nobody's going to run wild with it. And it allows, you know, and so you have a game that where the GM has a little more, control themselves or if you've got a game where it's very important that the players develop um, a lot of this sort of information for themselves and and share it and it becomes part of the world that you're playing in then you you define that in the game and it doesn't always have to be mechanics oriented it can just be conceptually at the heart of the game with uh with good strong hands 
I made a decision early on that I wasn't going to define a ton of setting because the game is about these fantastical creatures who are fighting to save their fantastical world from utter and complete destruction at the hands of this faceless entity called the void. And I can define a world that I think is really interesting and I could write all sorts of setting and everybody and all the players could sit down and say, okay, we're going to fight to save that world. Or I could give them enough of the world to have a baseline to work from. And what I did with the game was then encouraged leading questions, encouraged players developing um, more detail to their different, the, the, the folk that their characters are, like the race, the species, the, the, the different folk types that they come from. I didn't define a lot of information because I wanted players to help define a lot of that themselves so that they would be more invested in this world that they are then going to work to save. Um, and so that was, you know, kind of at the core of the game was like, I want this game to be about saving a world that they care about. Well, how can I make people care about it? Make them part of the creation. Um, and you could easily do that with like a whole pre, you, you know, th the game could have been like, could have had one of those microscope style, you know, session 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, where you do like three acts of like creating the whole world and everybody works and creates the world together. Cause plenty of, there's plenty of games that people, you know, where people do that in the game or where it's house ruled in. And that's how, you, you know, the, the group kind of develops their setting as a, as, um, by consensus, um, but you could also build that into the, you know, I could have done that with good strong hands. I could have said, well, like, you know, if you're going to play a campaign, you're going to all sit down and figure out what does this world really look like? What are, what are the rules of the world? What are the truths of the world? What are the different folk actually like other than just the descriptive and a couple of adjectives that I kind of gave them as generalities? I have a friend, uh, Jonathan Lavalley, who made a game called Gesa. And it, this, this whole conversation really speaks to that game because it's a game about people and the forces, they call them Fae, but they could be anything that sort of make deals with them and control them. And the the beginning of the game, there there isn't anything. There's like, there's no preset world. There's no preset characters. It's basically like you play, you say, I am this person. And then in one of the other players at the table says, I am the force that you work with that also controls you. And one of the really neat things about the game is that every time you sit down and play, the very first thing you do is that somebody goes first and says, you get to say two sentences about the world. So the first time I sat down, I said, this is a society where it's stratified by height. So the rich people are on the top and the poor people are on the bottom. And the players are like, okay, so the next player goes and builds on that. And we made this whole steampunk dystopia, like, like airships and, and, you know, scavengers down below in the pipes and whatever. And, and once we had that as a framework, then it was like, okay, now I know who I am in this setting. So then we made characters and then we made the forces and then we played. And since the game is really more about you trying to figure out what you want and trying to get this thing either off your back or to work for you, like the world isn't super important, but the world provides the boundary and it also provides a lot of stuff to bounce off of. And if it's a collaborative process, there's always a lot more to work with. And one of the other things that's really interesting is that each player takes turns, like like Jessica had said before, being the narrator for a scene. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I can't, I'm I'm not in this scene, my character's not in this scene, but you are, and here's what happens to you. And so everybody gets this slightly different experience as this as everybody's story threads together. And it's it's a really great experience. And I'm 
you should go, you should go play it. It's great. (laughs) That's a really good, like, illustration of what you're doing as a game designer for player narrative control is you are giving the framework to players and to the GMs to, to know how to do this. You're, you're not telling them what to do. You're giving them a rules, uh, like a rule set. So they don't have to do that on their own. Like we were just talking about for the last half hour, coming up with it on your own as a game designer give it to them. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I, I love the, the, the round Robin kind of like, okay, you, you develop a little bit, you develop a little bit, you develop a little bit. I do that in some games that I run outside of a rule system. So I'm glad that there, there's, there are games that, that have that written down. It, it makes it, I don't know. It, it gives it like a, like a mandate. Like you have the, you have, you have the permission. It, it feels better if you have the permission from the game to do things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because there are, there are some players who are more than willing to take the stage and chew the scenery, and I'm I'm guilty of that. Uh, but there are some players who are either shy or who are like, I don't I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to commit, I don't want to say something wrong. And if the game explicitly says you can do this and it's okay, it's easier for them to say not only for them to say I can do this and it's okay, but it's also easier for the, everybody else that's able to say, okay, grandstanding Jeff, you can. You can sit quietly now. It's this person's <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's kind of magical in that way. It, it really, it really does do like a mindset shift. Um, what about ways that you can, as the GM, um, you know, do a little favor for the G uh, for as a game designer, not as a GM, uh, things that you can do a favor for the GM of your game um, to make sure that player is, aren't doing what Jeff was saying, grandstanding, taking over, doing the the high drama, I'm going to add a bunch of chaos, which can sometimes happen despite our best intentions when we're running a game. What, what, what are things you can do as a designer to minimize that potential if you do have a game that has a lot of narrative control for players? I, I think the biggest thing you can do is like Craig was saying earlier, is you limit the scope of how much they can they can affect. Like you can have, because I mean, small changes can still be really significant. And 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 you and you don't want it to be like, well, I know the hotel guy and he lets me into the mafia boss's room and I kill him. The end. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good five minute session. You know. Right. I think uh, a limit limitation on the mechanic itself. I think um, any game that. Where it's if it's not subtly built into the moves, like you know, some games we talked about PBTA games and other, you know, where where it's it's kind of built into the specifically into the mechanics. But if it's if it's a little more open ended, like a point system, I think it's worth spending a little time in the player section when you talk about this player narrative control aspect to um, reinforce the idea that this is not here to make your character more powerful, to make, you know, to, to allow you to win more easily. This is here to, to help to bring depth to the story, to get you and, you know, the other players more invested, like emphasize what it's, what, what the, the, the usefulness of these narrative control tools are outside of like breaking the game and, and kind of getting, you know, like just addressing it as like, because some people will look at it and say like, Oh, I can control something. And then they'll, they'll look, you know, they not, maliciously they're just looking to take like i've got an opportunity to gain an advantage here this is a game i'm going to try to you know i'm going to try to get my plus Mm -hmm. um and they won't necessarily be doing it to hurt 
the game or to upset anybody, but they might just be looking to, you know, like utilize the rule as they see it. Um, and so it's, it's useful to define the expectation of what those types of player um, capabilities are so that everybody kind of is on the same footing. I do a lot of, um, in my books, if you read my game books, there's all, I use the phrase stuff. So, so everybody's on the same page or, or, or a phrase similar to that quite a bit. Like that pops up every so often. I'm just like, this is like this and this and this and this, and you should talk about it so that everybody's on the same page. And if everybody, you know, if, if, if the GM says, okay, push the boundaries and all the players are like, all right, every time I spend one of these cool points, I'm going to try to get as much as I can out of it. And the GM's going to be like, I'm going to have to deal with that all the time. And if that's how they're <laughs> going to play the game, that's okay. You can't control ultimately how people play the game, but you can try to kind of set out what your intent initially was and people will house rule and tweak as they see fit. Yeah. You can also, I think, implement a mechanic in your game that provides some sort of consequence that also serves to limit. Like maybe, maybe they aren't getting narrative control. Maybe it's on loan, and that's going to have to be paid back with interest later. Um, you're you're doing something cool. Yes, you get to decide this thing, but when you spend that token, now the GM has that to maybe take a hard move against you to use a power by the apocalypse term. Um, uh, Craig, you, um, had mentioned stuff that's kind of similar to that with Deadlands, uh, with people holding onto their, their, their tokens and their bennies. Like, right. uh, how, how could you turn that to a narrative, uh, flip that on a narrative side? Um, I think it's, uh, it's sort of a, well, I mean, basically a quick, a quick description, basically in, in, in OG Deadlands, you had white, red, and blue chips and they were worth different things white there were more there were more of those chips available to draw from and they were weaker and then the reds were a little better and then the blues were the best if you spent the white you got a, like a minor bonus if you spent the blue you got a major bonus but if you spent the red you got a major bonus and the gm drew a chip for their baddies um so every time you so it became like this you know the players thought like oh we could really use this bonus but i don't have any blue chips all i have are red ones do i give the gm something um you could do something like that with with player uh, narrative control kind of stuff where you maybe you have a point um you know point system just off the top of my head point system and if you want to make a minor change um you can spend a point you can get it it's like some little minor benefit that's gonna it's like a minor thing that'll last for a while or it's a slightly more powerful thing that'll be one time and if you want something really big you got to spend two points on it but now as like you built into the you build into the game as the designer well now the gm gets some benefit they, you, they gain a point that they get to use to like make things really difficult <laughs> for the, for the characters down the road. So it becomes a question of, you know, risk and reward and like how badly does the player or the group want or need that benefit in order to continue with uh, their plans and be successful on what they're trying to do. And how is that ultimately going to impact them um, in, in uh, you know, with, with, with the GM suddenly, you know, stockpiling points and like and everybody knows like whenever the gms you know when when players do things that the gm gains some sort of benefit for that the worst thing you can see as a player is to see the gm just sitting on those mm -hmm. as they just slowly <laughs> pile up and pile up over time and you're like well we know there's a big fight with the, the evil cyborg monster coming <laughs> like and he's got yeah. like 20 chips to spend <laughs> maybe we should stop with this 
wild stuff that we're doing, everybody. <laughs> it definitely makes them think twice about it. Now, I'm imagining a game where, okay, maybe you're all vampire thralls and you could be, this is a game about like your, your player agency. Um, and the, the GM represents like the head vampire who can control you at different times. Now you can be spending these points to have more free will or whatever, whatever other creatures you could imagine that have or have uh, limitations on their free will. Um, and you spend your points to, to do things that go against what the, the master is saying, uh, but then they can use that to maybe take something away. Uh, from you take some agency away from you that could be a really cool horror element if you're designing a, a a horror game that talks about will what will means right that that's a really cool mechanic and and it could even be as simple as if you can't i mean one of the one of the things i always have a problem with is a gym and it's like okay you have the power to smite the players i'm like well i i always do um <laughs> But like, instead of just smiting them, and especially in that game, it's like, okay, I, I have free will and I can do stuff, but the boss is going to find out <laughs> at mm -hmm. some point he's going to come get me. <laughs> he's going to make me do this. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's something that I love. Uh, you know, like, wait, yeah. Like uh, uh, in, in murders and acquisitions, there's, uh, it's kind of set up that like, you can you can get favors out of H and like in the game HR is like these puppet masters they play chess games with your lives right with each oh, other nice. and um you can go to your you like you have an HR person you can go to your HR person you can ask and get you know get favors and get and get questions answered and so forth but there comes a point where um that HR person is going to call in the favor and like I this specifically describe it in MA in a few different places as like when it's most inconvenient <laughs> like because that's like that's when it always happens when, because I built it off of like, you know, what, what, what's the worst thing that could happen when you're at work? He's like, you're right in the middle of a deadline. You got a thing to do. You're, you know, you're, you're button heads with a coworker or something. And then somebody comes along and asks you for something else that you absolutely have to do right now. And, and that brings me to a point of like how you design it into the game also sends a message to like the, the tone of the game and how players in the GM are supposed to feel about what you're asking to do. Going back to the, uh, uh, like if the player spends a chip for a little thing, that's fine. If they spend a chip for two things, then the GM gets something. Um, you could write it into the game such that when the player spends those two chips, they put the one chip into the pot and then they give the chip to the GM, mm -hmm. which is completely different than them putting into the pot and the GM then getting to gain a chip. Like I, I am the one who caused this all to happen. I have to hand you this chip and everybody at the table is going to see that you, it was you <laughs> that gave that extra chip to the GM. And then they, they, they smushed us for it later um, because they had the chips to spend on extra actions or making my gun explode or whatever. Um, it really, it, 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 it 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 flavors the game how you yeah. do it yeah absolutely it hits the tone a lot like uh, i feel like a game that has a lot of narrative control for the players that has a more hopeful tone the mood is much more hopeful and and the more empowering uh but the the less <laughs> control or the more control that you're giving in exchange uh you kind of have that like the the feeling of doom and and pressure and like something bad is going to happen some like it really does help build some tension there. Ooh, speaking of the horror thing, like 
hopeful. Let's do it. Let's do a horror based game. I don't know what the horror game is about, but it's just like it. it you, it's not hopeful, but you give them a, a, a way to do the narrative control thing and they spend a point um, and you have to you do it like best to do it with chips. So you can put a, a pile of chips in the center. It starts with no chips in the center. When you spend a chip, it goes into this pile. And every time one of those gets put into the pile, um, the GM gets to roll a die. And let's say it's a D10. And if they roll the number of chips in the pot or lower, something really terrible happens. Mm. And they do the roll in front of everybody. And it happens every time a chip goes in there. So we like, I, we, I'm giving us this benefit, but let's hope this doesn't immediately blow up on us before we can utilize it. And, you know, the monster attacks or, you know, you, uh, you turn into an alien, <laughs> you, you sprout, uh, you know, mutant uh legs that carry your head away because just because i was talking to a friend about the thing a while ago like your head falls <laughs> off and, and crawls away um whatever the horror thing is that the horror game does right Ter something that, terrible that's a really cool mechanic and you could even tie that to like um you could have like a a doom meter right like this mm -hmm. thing will happen then this thing will happen then this thing will happen and this thing will happen it's going to happen this is the fate of your your players uh, can you stop it from from continuing? Like, I, uh, ooh, that would be really that would be really fun to play. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I, it's great for a horror themed <laughs> game because it's like the more we try, the worse it gets until we either <laughs> succeed or we die. Great. <laughs> um, I did. I did that. I did something like that with Nowhereville, although it's not specifically with player control. Where um, there's a track of ten points that you're you start with your tick with your you put, you know, you checkbox them one of the middle two. And every time um, you get like a really good roll because like it's a horror game and you're actually trying to save the people in the town and make things better. So every time you get a really good roll, you have to move your, um, your, your check mark one toward one of the ends. And once you start down one path, you have to keep going on that path. And when you fall off the end, something terrible happens. Mm. So you get like these, oh, we did great, big, you know, big roll, good success. We saved people's lives. We killed a bunch of monsters. And now I rolled and, oh, I fell off the end of my track. And now, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the boarding house where we stowed 10 of our friends um, to keep them safe and quiet um, suddenly gets attacked by the monsters while we're away and half of them get killed. Because that's what happens in a horror game, yep. right? It sure does. <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a horror game. It could be like you could do that with with your high fantasy games too. Like the the machinations of the BBEG continue. They roll down the line. Yeah. If a game is especially like if the game is kind of about that, like you have a game that's very specifically, you know, like you play campaigns against like this ongoing villain or series of ongoing, you know, villains that might take several sessions to deal with. Like every time you do like this one little thing that helps to skew things in your direction. The, the universe says, <laughs> let's balance the scales and let's give the big bad a little something. And you don't know necessarily, like you could easily lose track. If you don't have a good note keeper at the table amongst the players, like you could lose track of like, well, how many, how many times is the, has the GM stockpiled because we did stuff like this. And that, and that builds tension too. I'm having all sorts of fun ideas like that. That could easily be turned into a game where it is GM list. Like that could be a good, if you're, if you're seeking out a mechanic that will allow uh, players to play without a controller, an overall uh, uh, master of the game, 
that yeah. that could really work. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a dice. What we're what we're describing is a dice version of dread. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it just different variations of dice versions of just just building the building the tension by having the more and more you do something, the closer and closer that you come to the inevitable. Yeah, it, and it feels. Ooh, gosh, I I don't know because like dread, like it feels like you have a lot of control, but also at the same time, a stiff wind in one direction could because yeah. everything to literally right. topple. But with the dice, it feels and, so inevitable. And here's the thing. The, 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 the thing that I just described where like every time you do something, you put the chip into the pot and the GM rolls the die. Okay, maybe the GM doesn't roll the die. Maybe you roll the die. Uh, <laughs> you take out the D10. <laughs> you roll that D10 in, every, in front of everybody. If you roll equal to or lower than the number of chips. in the, Okay, not only did you put, did, not only did you put the chip into the pot, you rolled the two. <laughs> you did this. and now my character has been turned inside out right <laughs> and this is really uncomfortable <laughs> oh my god that just spiked my social anxiety so high <laughs> that is uh that is that is a game i i god i gotta design that game now yeah <laughs> <laughs> i want to design a game where they put the you know you put the tension marker out there like that like you said, like a doom clock, it basically, it's just, it, it's not a question of if, it's just when. When are you going to have enough chips that you're going to get unlucky enough and make the players roll it? Oh, yep. I love it. <laughs> Which is there, a completely different feel from making the GM roll it. There's nothing worse than having to roll something that you know you're going to fail at. There's, right. there's nothing worse. And how worse superstitious players get about their dice. Yes. And have, here's the killer. Have the, have the game, have the game system be rolling high is good always rolling high is always good so like players are going good it's like i've been rolling high all night and then the other players are like you're due for a low roll you better not spend that chip and have to roll that die because that the low roll is coming even though we all know that's not how statistics work right um but it's know, how gamers but, but in your play. head you still think about it right like you're you got hot dice and one oh, it's gonna blow up on me at some point don't do it when it's gonna turn jess's character inside out <laughs> Tune in next you, week for Craig's new game. You can imagine too. <laughs> it's the called stare Don't down. Turn Me Inside Out. <laughs> yeah. If if my character were in danger of being turned inside out, and I know that it's your <laughs> role, but I'm going it's going to be Yeah. Don't screw this up. Yeah. <laughs> Never talking to you oh. again. Okay. Let's take it. You want over you want to dance? Let's take it up the roll. Let's let's rock it up there. You put you put the chip in. You have to roll the die to see whether or not it happens, and you have to roll the random die to see who at the table gets affected. Oh, God! <laughs> I would be like, please oh, be me. Please let it be me that gets turned inside out if I'm rolling this. And, and if you put another chip in, I'll let you pick who it is. Oh, God. Yes. But you still have to make the roll. Or you can decide that it happens. So somebody to can me. decide, I'll ha- let it happen to me. <laughs> But now it's a higher chance. Yes. Because they had to put another exactly. chip in. Exactly. Yes, oh exactly what God. I was going to say. And this is brutal. And and let's let's dance some more. After it blows up on everybody, you take all the chips out except for one. And the next time you get to the max, you take all the chips out except for two. So there's it's every time it's a death spiral. It's it's there's a higher and higher chance of it happening earlier in the game. Oh god. Time. Well, there's the title for the game. <laughs> death, spiral. Death, death spiral. spiral. <laughs> wow <laughs> so there's all sorts of fun things you can play with when you're a game designer to uh, apparently just torture the players who are going to play your game <laughs> or or to create a system 
that evokes a very particular player experience mm-hmm. while still which giving might them be, agency, which might, yes. which while giving them agency, but the experience might be torture. <laughs> people like that. It's cathartic. People yeah. love, well, people you know, love being messed with. <laughs> it's the reason, you know, like when it comes to horror stuff, it's the reason, one of the reasons that people love horror stories is because you can watch the horror story. You can get scared and you're ultimately safe. I can have this happen to my character, but I personally am ultimately safe and I can just, and also there's the, you know, we, we played, we played five sessions of this game and my character didn't get turned inside out. That's a win, baby. (laughs) That's a, like, like there's, there's a, there's a good feeling of like, you managed to avoid all, no matter what, like you, you spent points and you made roles and you still managed to avoid having like the really terrible thing happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, baby. (laughs) It's always a good day when no one can see the ribs outside of your body. (laughs) That's Uh, true. That's true. As I get older. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The more everything that's supposed to be inside the body is inside the body. That's good. Yes. definitely. (laughs) Oh man. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us and, and riffing with us at the end here, coming up with uh, some fun game mechanics. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah. Same here. My pleasure. Uh, what plugs do you want to plug? So you can find me uh, at my website, www.jeffquest.com. And you can also find me at jeffquest.itch.io. And you can see my my various uh, fiction writings and my games there. And no pressure to buy anything. You can just look. That's totally cool. Yeah, always window shopping is yes. always encouraged. Yes. Tell your friends. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com or wannabegames on DriveThruRPG or on itch.io. Um, I am, we're, we're getting some art rolling in for The Means of Magic, which is a game that has a lot of player narrative control. So if you like that kind of thing, maybe check out Means of Magic. And uh, I'm available for tweeting at at Nerdburger Craig. And right now, uh, there's a game on Kickstarter called Felt Friendship and Feelings, which is nothing like anything I've been describing in the last 10 minutes. It's a much happier, fun game where uh, the the dice mechanics are about sharing um, in the nice, kind way, as opposed to sharing the torch. So you can check that out. That's (laughs) not as far as I know. Um, (laughs) Hey, I don't control your game. You play how you want. Um, But uh, yeah, that'll be up. That that, that's only running for a couple of weeks. It's just a little zine style game. That's just on Kickstarter for two weeks. Awesome. Well, thank you all. Um, And thank you to Steph Sachs for our intro and outro music, Avel, which was licensed under creative commons. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.